In this series, we're talking about our identity in Christ. I've said to you how important it is for us to know this because we have an enemy who's the master of identity theft, and he's trying to steal this away from us. But if we know who we are, we can, we can experience the full and abundant now and forever life that Christ has come for us to have. In this part of the series, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the aspects of the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We've been working through them. Today, we're going to talk together about gentleness. And so that's the intro. Transition, always a silly thought or a bad joke. Uh, this, like, never hitchhike after dark. That's my rule of thumb. Rule of thumb. Wow. When we were kids, it was safer. We would, you're not supposed to do that. It's funny how things change over time. Like, like we used to be told never to get in a car with a stranger. And then we were told we needed to be really careful about people we met on the Internet. And, and then they came up with Uber. <laughs> and everything's changed. Scripture reading here on purpose. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's been our Scripture verse now for seven weeks. And I'm hoping it resonates with you that when you hear it now, all, all those ideas begin to settle on you because you've heard them, that this is what's important. And the reason that I want you to hear that is this. Um, I think, and there was maybe even a time when I used to think that these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are things we were to aspire to. That, oh, that would be good at some point in time if those things began to happen. But I believe the reality is that as believers yielded to the Holy Spirit, these things should already be evident in our lives. That this should be a part of being in step with the Spirit, a life in the Spirit. And, and so it's a more of a warning or an indicator, perhaps, if we're not experiencing those things that we're out of step and that we, get, we need to get reconnected. So if we're not feeling particularly loving or if we're being impatient, I don't know how many of you that, oops, uh, or if we're being unkind or something, it, it should just be a little indicator to us, I'm probably not in step with the Spirit the way I need to be, and I need to take time to reconnect and find out what's going on. So we've spent time sort of developing each aspect and talking about what it means Mostly so we can recognize when we're not experiencing it. And then we can sort of get checked back in. So today we're talking about gentleness. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. Point number one, what is gentleness? I think sometimes we might skip over this one and think, well, that's not something that I really want. Do you know what happens to gentle people in this world? Do you, they get walked over or they get stepped on or they get taken advantage of. They get laughed at. They're often ignored. So you know what? I'm going to pass on that one. I like the others, but I'm going to pass on this idea of gentleness. So I think that sometimes there's sort of a negative response. There's some pushback to this. The, the dictionary definition isn't helping us any. It says that to be gentle is to be mild, moderate, soft, and delicate. And in our culture, those just don't seem like uh, the ideas. I mean, maybe in certain settings that would be good, but for the most part, you know, we're going to need to be tough and ready and all those things that culturally we think would have to be in order to survive. Another problem we have is the word that's being translated gentle there uh, is often translated as meekness. And so we've seen that concept as meekness, and meekness in us just sort of triggers the idea of weakness. It's they're, they're just too close together. And we, we think that this picture of gentleness is one of 
weakness. But what you need to understand is that, that meekness is absolutely not weakness. Gentleness is not weakness. The Greek word that's being used there was used to describe strong animals that were actually brought under control. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of power under control or strength under control. Only two people in the Bible were actually described using this word. One of them was Jesus, and that happened three times, and the other was Moses, and that happened one time. But, you know, Jesus and Moses, you could no way picture either one of them as weak or point to that in the process. What they were was they, the idea of gentleness is a heart surrendered to God. It's a teachable spirit. It's a gentle strength. It's power under control. It's, it's power under God's control. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is an invitation from Jesus, and he's saying, listen, when you're weary, when you're burdened, when you've, when you've been out there in your own strength trying to do things and you're all anxious and feeling down and like you're carrying the weight of the world and all those things are happening, I invite you to come to me so that you can find rest for your soul. That idea of soul rest is one of my favorite things in, in Scripture, that there's nothing like your soul at rest. And Jesus invites that. And he says, you know, be yoked to me. The, the picture of a yoke was two oxen yoked together so they could share the load. He's inviting us in to this kind of life, to walk alongside him, and that that he will teach us this gentleness. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England for years and years and years. He wrote this years ago, and I love it. It's a description of gentleness and meekness. He said that the one who is meek is not even sensitive about themselves, not always watching themselves in their own interests, not always on the defensive. All that is gone. The one who is truly meek never pities themselves or sorry for themselves, never talks to themselves and says, you're having a hard time. How unkind these people are not to understand me. Never thinks how wonderful I really am. If only other people ever gave me a chance. Self-pity. What hours and years we waste in this. But the one who has become meek has finished with all that. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether. And you've come to see that you have no rights or deserts at all. The one who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat them as, as treat, be treated as well as they do. That, it seems to me, is its essential quality. That's this great description of gentleness. If, if you would, you know, track with me on what we've been talking about throughout this series and even before, one of the things I tell you is that, that we are often putting ourselves at the center of the story. We think everything revolves around us and that that's where life is found. But this life yielded to the Spirit is really about being out of the center of the story, remembering that it's His story and that He invites us into His story. He's the noun. We're the adjectives. And that's where we begin to experience life. And, and that's where gentleness can actually start to manifest itself in, in that yieldedness to the Holy Spirit that gets us out of the center of the story, out of the center of the universe, out of it's all about me, out of this is everything that I bring to the table, and gets us to the place of this is His story, and I just want to live for Him. And I just want to be used by Him in whatever way that looks like on this journey. And so this idea of gentleness is really about us getting ourselves out of the center of the story. 
That's where the, the, the ability to be gentle is being happening in him as we yield to him. So how is it expressed? That's point number two. How is this gentleness expressed? First in our personalities. A, a gentle person takes the personality that God has given them, which is unique in each one of us, and places it under the control of God, yields it to the Holy Spirit. I, I love this illustration about Jesus' friends that we're going to share, that we're going to talk about right now. Jesus had three, he had a lot of friends, but three that were very close to him among the disciples were um, Peter and James and John. And he would take them to certain events and take them, there was obviously something about them, they were very close, and he was close with all these guys, but very close with these three. And the, the thing is, these guys didn't really start off very gentle. And yet over the course of their lives, in, in walking with the Spirit, a gentleness happens in them. But, but look at how they were in the beginning, and, and let's see what's happening. So there's a time in Luke chapter 9, and you can go and read the whole story later on if you would, but there's a time when they're going to go through Samaria, and they need a place to rest, uh, to take a break, to spend the night, if you would. They need lodging. And uh, Jesus sends James and John ahead to go and find that place, and they are not received at all. Uh, there was lots of times in Jesus' ministry when he wasn't received very well on the journey. So he wasn't received at all. And they were really upset, James and John. And so they, they come back to Jesus, and they, they say to him in Luke 9, 54, uh, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now, just to clear it up, that is not a gentle response. So we're tracking on the same thing right now. You all get that. That was not the gentle response. Jesus is like, of course not. No, that's not what we're all about. That's not what we're going to do. Those things happen. Um, but he does give them a nickname. I love this because the, the Mark picks up on it later on in his gospel. And uh, in Mark 3.17, it says, James, son of, Zeb uh, son of Zebedee and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. That's how they got the nickname. And I love that, don't you? Because I had this thought, you know, that, that every now and again, you know, when they were getting a little acting up or something or something wouldn't go right, right, quite right, that Jesus would look at them and say, uh, what do you think, boy? Should we call down a little fire? And they would go, no, that wasn't right. We know, we know. That's not how it works. So that's not a gentle person. Peter, um, he often would sort of get caught in his arrogance and in his pride. And in Mark 8, I'm going to read you some passages, but to set it up, he has really just heard from God about who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus looks at him and says, you've heard that directly from God, you're hearing from God. It's a huge deal in the process. And then watch what happens, because it kind of gets puffed up by that, and look what happens, Mark 8, 31 and 32. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I don't know if you've caught what's going on there, but here's Peter and here's Jesus. Jesus, fully God, fully man, um, telling them what's about to happen and here's Peter all full of himself saying, no, nope, Jesus, that's not how it's going to go. You get the arrogance in the process? And, and the lack of gentleness in what's happening. Uh, he's just, you know, demonstrating this, this impulsiveness in, in the process. And, and yet what's so amazing about Jesus is that he, he never gives up. He never gives up on them. He never gives up on us. He keeps working on them and maturing in them. And as the Holy Spirit comes throughout the course of their lives, tremendous change 
takes place. We see the Apostle John later on in, in his life and ministry, he writes uh, First, Second, and Third John, which are really all about the love of God. Love, 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 love. Go and read it. It's almost constant throughout those letters and the change that had happened to him. Peter, you know, God is able to use Peter to really get the church launched and to go and do things all over because of this yieldedness to the Spirit over time that helps remove that impulsiveness and that arrogance and gets us to get into his story instead of living out our own. And, and one of the things I love about the Scripture is that those embarrassing stories of Jane and James and John and even Peter are still here. Isn't it great that those didn't get edited out? I sometimes think if, if you know, because I fall so far short so often, and I would think, well, I've got, you know, such a mess, and yet all the heroes of the faith were a mess, and, and they blew it all the time, and that stayed in the book. It's one of the reasons you can know the book is true. A book that was trying to be written uh, in a way that wasn't true would edit out all of the bad stuff so that there was no embarrassing stories. And the book is full of it because we're a broken mess for the most part. And, and it's only as yielded to him that we begin to find life. And so you, you see these stories of, of our heroes and you, you understand that's what's going on. So God wants us to yield our personality under his control. He wants us to yield our words. That's B, in our words. Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is a big one. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our words are so powerful. And we often speak without thinking. It's not that things are coming in one ear and going out the other. They're coming in one ear. We're trapping them there, spinning them around. And then we're just launching out with things that we say. And, and our, we can either lift people up or we can tear them down. The writer of Proverbs says, uh, Proverbs 15:4, The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And, and we want to be careful that we're not wounding people and hurting people with our words. And yet, if we're not moving life uh, as gentle people, we will often do just that. We will speak defensively. We will speak sarcastically. We'll speak quickly without thinking and processing and sort of waiting what's to happen. Oftentimes, that first response that we get is not the correct response. Alice and I talk about that all the time. We'll have a situation and we'll, we'll talk about it to one another. And I'll say, you know what, let's wait. Let's pray for a day. Let's wait before we say anything because things might change uh, in, in how the Lord deals with us. So many words have been taken in by people so deeply that have affected them for their entire lives. You know, uh, there's an old school ground thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it's not true. You know, sticks and stones hurt, but bones tend to heal. Some words have been taken in by people at a very young age, and they have stayed there and operated as a curse to them throughout their entire lives. They operate 60, 70 years under bondage of a word that was spoken in a false way about who they really were. And the only way to get free from that is to get that to the cross and allow Jesus to heal it and take on the identity that you've been given so that you can find life. And, and so many people are laboring under false words. Let's, let's, you know, get those cleaned up. But let's also not be people that inflict that kind of stuff into other people's lives. Let's think about what we say. Speak words that build up, that encourage. Look for opportunities to build people up and encourage them in the process. Remember from a few weeks ago, James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. 
So C is our expectations. We need to yield these uh, to the Lord as well. So it's our personality, our words, and our expectations. Ephesians 4, 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let me ask you a question, and think about this this week. When someone disappoints you, and it happens, are you gentle or are you judgmental? Where do you go with it? It's a really good question, isn't it? I'm reminded of the Old Testament story with Elijah. And if you get a chance, I'd encourage you to go and read it this week. First uh, Kings 18, 16 through 19, 11. And what happens in this story is that um, Elijah, the prophet of God, is sort of put into a competition against Baal and his false prophets of 400. Uh, and that whole camp is with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who are evil folks and moving the whole nation into a really bad spot. And so the, this competition is just this, that uh, what's going to happen is the false prophets of Baal, there's 400 of them, they're going to have a, a sacrifice of a bull on an altar, and they're going to pray that Baal sets it on fire with no help, and Elijah's going to do the same thing, just Elijah uh, with God, they're going to have a, a, a sacrifice, and the idea is whosoever God sets fire to the offering, that's really God. And so the prophets of Baal go first, and there's 400 of them, and they're pleading, and they're chanting, and they're wailing, and they're cutting themselves, nothing happens. It's Elijah's turn, and Elijah calls on God. And, and also, not only is he calling on God, before he even does that, he douses the offering, the sacrifice, with water. It's going to be even a bigger miracle when God shows up, and God shows up. And the, the, the sacrifice is burnt, and it's proven that day to everyone that God is the one true real God, and that Baal is false. And, and it's, got a, it's a big day for Elijah, right, feeling pretty good about that whole thing. And then what happens is that Jezebel gets word to him and says, I'm going to kill you by the end of the day. And he takes off running. Everything just falls away. You think, how could that possibly happen? But we do that all the time. We see God move in a mighty way, and then something happens, and all of a sudden we're like, where is God? You know, and, and, and so he goes running, and then he's upset, and he's complaining to God, and he says, you know, I'm better off dead, and the angel of the Lord comes and gives him a little sustenance and says, Elijah, here's what you, you need to go to the cave. I want you to go to the cave and wait for me there. And so Elijah goes on this 40-day journey to the cave, and I often think about this. How many of you were ever, when you were a kid, sent to the principal's office? Yeah, huh? And, uh, I, I made journeys there. I used to be wait, you know, and they make you wait on purpose, right? And then because you start torturing yourself about, oh, what's it going to be like? This can't be good. You know, I'm in big trouble. And I sort of have that Elijah might have been feeling that on the way uh, on this journey. You know, he, he just blew it. He, he lost his courage and he, he did all those things. And he, I'm sure he's thinking, I wish I could just go back and make it right. And what's God going to say to me, you know? And well, he showed up and here I am. And so he's waiting in the cave and the Lord shows up and... Uh, First uh, Kings 19, I want to read this to you, 11 through 13. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Think about this whole thing. So first off, there's this strong, mighty wind, you know, powerful wind. And, and, and the Bible says God wasn't in the wind. And then there was this earthquake. 
The Bible says God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, and God wasn't in the fire. But then there was a gentle voice, and God was in the gentle voice. And you know what was going on there? God wasn't beating up Elijah. He wasn't punishing Elijah. He was loving Elijah. He was saying, listen, Elijah, I know you're down. I I know you failed. I know you feel bad. I know you would give anything to go back and change things, but you can't. But Elijah, I'm still here. I'm still God. I'm still with you. I'm still for you, and I still love you. See, that's God. None of us have arrived yet. We're still making mistakes. We still choose to go our own way sometimes, but, but when we do, God's just like that. His favor, His mercy is like, just go to the cave for a moment. I want to meet with you there. Not to punish us, but to love us so that we can get reconnected and to get back in step on this journey. This thing that we're doing, it's not people always being perfect. It's people that, that want to live by doing the next right thing, who, who desire to yield to the Holy Spirit. And then when we mess up, we're willing to let God's great grace and mercy cover and forgive us so that He can complete the work He started in us. Because when we're aware of our own need, of our own failed expectations, then, then when others ex- when people don't meet our expectations, we can extend this mercy and grace to them. See, that's really what gentleness looks like. And that's what God wants in our lives. We've all got stories of where we got off track and stepped out a little bit. I was thinking earlier, um, very early on uh, in my Christian walk, uh, and I was here at the church. We had a thing that happened where someone broke into the church, and they did some damage. Uh, and they didn't really steal anything. They just kind of did vandalism. Oh, they stole some band equipment. That's right. So there was some, some of that, but it was very discouraging. And I, I was reading the Word at that time, you know, and, and I, I'm, I was still working a, another job. I hadn't, you know, sort of moved into the ministry full-time yet. But I was reading a lot in the scripture, and I, there was, I just read a scripture about a time when the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, and the people who stole it were cursed with uh, hemorrhoids, in effect. And uh, it says roids in the, in the King James. The other thing, but that's, and, and that was the deal. And so they wanted to quickly return the Ark. They didn't want the Ark anymore. They figured out, send the Ark back. And I remember having this thought. See, I was like, oh, oh. So, so I wasn't very gentle at the time in my arrogance. My, my prayer was, God, uh, whoever did this thing, why don't you let them have some hemorrhoids? <laughs> Do you know you should never pray a prayer like that? Because somewhere in there it says, you're to bless your enemies, not curse them. I was 30. I was in my young 30s. Without being too graphic, let me tell you this that the next morning I woke up with a situation I had never had before. (laughs) In complete panic. Something is wrong! (laughs) And I remember very clearly the lesson I was learned was, you're to bless, not curse. Don't do that. You know, you to pray for them. I immediately started to pray for them. Bless them, Lord. Do you know one of the people that was involved in that, one of the young people, is still one of my Facebook friends? And, uh, how God changes things over time if, if you're able to sort of get in the right at, you know, frame of mind and be gentle in this world, the impact that it has. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be gentle people in the world, not prideful, not arrogant, not sharp, but just settled in who He is and flowing in that process with Him. Amen?